Certain communities living in similar conditions often start to behave in similar ways. And although this has become a joke, it is quite true that doctors in the top half of East Anglia often write NFN, normal for Norfolk, on their prescriptions. Certain conditions arise when we're together. And we've been looking at the, the gifts, the presence of God's Holy Spirit to believers, which the Bible makes clear are NFC, normal for Christians. And that includes exercising the last in the two lists of gifts that are mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12, the gift of tongues and their interpretation. And there's been lots of hoo-ha about tongues, and the reasons for that I'll go into in a moment. But in fact, the gift is no more weird than spirit-inspired wisdom or amazing faith. And there are a number of people in APC who are already quietly exercising this gift. And they're no more batty than the rest of us. Our reading tells us that these presents are given variously by God to different individuals so that they can be exercised to build the kingdom on earth. And Paul exhorts us to eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. Now, some people focus a bit more on the, the, the sparkly wrapping paper that's associated with tongues and their interpretation. But the gift has the same quiet value as others in supporting believers, both individually and corporately. They are all manifestations of God's loving generosity and a partial foretaste of what we will receive at the end of time. In full restoration, we, we're not going to need gifts of prophecy and tongues and uh, preaching and whatever, because we will then be face to face with Jesus. But until then, these gifts are given to benefit us. Tongues comes last in the list, that Paul writes in chapter 12, because it has a less evident role in building up the body and it has a greater private dimension of communicating with a loving God. It's a God-given way of us expressing ourselves to the Father rather than his means of communicating with us. And as such, it has less significance for the church than what God is telling us via prophecy and words of knowledge and things like that. But what are we talking about when we uh, refer to using the gift of tongues? In the New Testament, there's two types of divine speaking which are referred to as tongues. Firstly, and less commonly, the unlearnt ability to praise God in a recognisable world language so that people who are present and speak that language can understand the praise that's being offered to God. That ability may come on an occasion or for a season. And we see it in Acts 2.11 when foreigners in the Jerusalem crowd at Pentecost declared of Jesus' Galilean disciples, they didn't understand Galilean dialect, 
We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. It's rather like Google Translate for worship. Secondly, and more frequently, tongues refers to speaking to God in a language only recognized in heaven, unless someone else is specifically given an interpretation in our language to make sense of it. And Paul refers to this as speaking or singing in the language of angels. Neither of these tongues, these way of speaking, can be worked up or learnt on purpose. They can't be, I can't do it and someone else learn it from me. They are gifts of God and they are, they're a way of addressing God that is supra-rational. They're kind of beyond what our human minds compute. You know, when you've been married a long time, you, you might have some silly little banter and in-jokes that only you understand with your partner. Or if you're a, a parent with a child, you have that lovely kind of burbling conversation with them. And it just speaks of your intimacy together, although you couldn't translate it word for word. Tongues is a bit like that. It's about enabling us to speak with God in, in greater depth, greater release, and greater intimacy. So, two types of tongue, two contexts in which tongues are usually employed. Primarily, it is a personal way of communicating when we haven't got the words. It's meant only for God to hear. Although, if we've got people around us, they may overhear us, but we're not addressing them. Sometimes, the speaker of tongues has a sense of what they are saying to God. But sometimes, because the mind isn't consciously involved, that isn't always the case. However, the second context is that sometimes a worshipper wants to declare God's loveliness specifically so that others can receive it. And in this context, Paul's really concerned that the gift has interpretation to back it up so that people aren't left thinking, yeah, what was that about? What is normal for Christians is unusual in the outside world. And Paul doesn't want heartfelt worship to be discredited by cynical minds. So when a tongue is publicly proclaimed, as opposed to us simply overhearing someone speaking, the fact that there is an accompanying translation is an indication that it is the unifying spirit who is moving amongst us and gifting us to help one another understand. It also illustrates that the, the tongue message isn't just being acted, you know, part of a rehearsed performance or, or as a result of you know, drug-induced behaviour or, or springs from a source that is not the Holy Spirit when no one would be praising Christ because you do that through the Spirit. So the role of the person interpreting is, is to evaluate what they hear and whether the tongue is genuine and then interpret it either utterance by utterance or in a general sense reflecting 
the way that the, the you know, the, 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 uh, reflecting the content and the tone of the message. You know, if, if the tongue message is like a cry of lament in the face of God's holiness or a pean of praise to his glory, the interpreter will be able to pick that up and convey that. And like any use of the Spirit's gifts, a proclaimed tongue, a sort of one that's publicly set out, is, of course, with its interpretation, to be weighed by mature believers. You know, we all have a, a personality which can create a bias in the way that we read God. And, and if you are given a, a tongue message or an interpretation, you need to just submit it very humbly for the consideration of others. And there should be, if the Spirit's moving, a sense of, of rightness. You think, yeah, this, this just fits. Um, sorry. And you know, when that happens, when there's a message and an interpretation and others think, yeah, it encourages us, doesn't it? As a body, it encourages us to have confidence in the gifts of the Spirit. So two sorts of tongue, two contexts of using it, and thirdly, two particular situations or needs that the use of tongues really meets. Sometimes we want to express deep adoration of God, but just feel incapable, inhibited. And in Ephesians 5, 19-20, Paul advocates that we speak to, another, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, always giving thanks to God the Father. In Colossians 3.16, he talks about singing spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Now, he's not exclusively talking there about tongue worship, but the context is clear that praise and adoration are particularly part of what you might do if you're speaking in tongues. And in Romans 8, 28 to 7, uh, 26-7, Paul talks about how the Spirit helps us when we do not know what we ought to pray for interceding for us with groans that words cannot express. And praying in tongues is really useful when, although you may be full of compassion for another, you just don't know where to start in praying for them. You have to trust then that if you pray in tongues, that God knows exactly what needs praying and that he will direct our prayers accordingly. So, Praying and singing in tongues refers to us addressing God, either in a known but unlearnt world, not a recognised world language that we've never spoken before, or a sort of a heavenly language. It's most frequently private, but sometimes for the body, with an interpretation, and it's usually in the context of adoration or intercession for someone. So far, so good. What could possibly go wrong? Well, much of 1 Corinthians is about Paul addressing a church who's kind of really, well, it's like, you know, they keep falling off the beam and thinking, you know, diverting what God's doing and interpreting it their way. And he's saying, no, 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 come on, come back to what it should be about. The Corinthian church um, was basically mishandling the Holy Spirit's gift of tongues. 
And it's true to say that more modern charismatic practice has sometimes created real anxiety and distress for those who've witnessed it. I don't know the history of APC with regard to publicly operating within the spirit's gifts, but I do recognize that for some of you today, you're, you're really wary of this whole area because of previous negative experience. What Paul is trying to do in 1 Corinthians is to support good practice rather than shut down what God is doing. And the thing is that the church members in Corinth were overly fascinated by the more spectacular of the Holy Spirit's gifts. They came from a cultural background where some pagan worship meant being worked up into an ecstatic, trance-like state, whilst other cults claimed superior hidden knowledge for special insiders, rather like Masonic lodges and Jewish Kabbalah does nowadays. So when the, uh, these early Christians experienced the gifts of tongues, their previous conditioning meant that they started to regard it as a sign of specialness, a, a tool for spiritual one-upmanship. And they also associated it with the kind of chaotic abandon that they'd witnessed when they were growing up. They obsessed about the gift rather than the giver. And they forgot that God's presence are always to help us become more in tune with him, not less so. As Paul stresses at the beginning of chapter 13, exercises any, exercising any of the Spirit's gift is absolutely a waste of time unless you're doing it with love. So the Corinthians were obviously regarding the gift of tongues as a, a signifier of true conversion. And we do know that when the first Gentiles received the Holy Spirit in Acts 10, much to the amazement of the listening Jews, they started speaking in tongues and praising God. But that isn't mentioned in every conversion narrative in the New Testament. And Paul makes clear in chapter 12, verse 11, that it is up to God to give as he determines. So there's no room for boasting that we have this gift, or uh, flaunting it as a mark of special favor. We've done nothing to earn it. Having any of the gifts does not mean that we are not still sinners that Christ is working on. And what's more, uh, when it's proclaimed in public, I mean, tongues isn't even a, a sort of standalone sign that one person is really mature, because actually it's totally dependent on somebody else being able to interpret it. And the gift does nothing for anybody without that. Paul is addressing a church where services were turning into a right shambles as people were crying out over one another and making it incomprehensible to any visitors. You know, it does make me wonder, were the Corinthians equally bothered about the Holy Spirit's gift of service? Or giving? Hmm. But Paul wants to commend 
using the gift of tongues and ensure that it's done appropriately. There are no gifts from a loving father that should feel, if they're from the Holy Spirit, that they are somehow oppressive to those beholding them, although they may cause wonder and amazement, because we know that happens. But no one should be made to feel excluded from God's presence, because the, God, the gift is being used inappropriately. And because it's a language addressed to God, no one can translate and claim that God is telling us something important, which, let's face it, no one else can verify. It is us to God. The gift of tongues is not something that takes us over and makes us speak against our will. We can easily say no to the Spirit's impulse. We're in control, just like we are when he asks us to be kind to people. And we think, oh, can I do it tomorrow? We say no a lot. And the gift of tongues, we can say no to. We don't have to do it. I suppose it's a bit more like, you know, when laughter bubbles up, it, it, it's inspired, in a sense, but we can choose whether we laugh or don't laugh. So speaking in tongues is not something that believers should be anxious about. And they shouldn't steer clear of it, but cherish it like any other gift from the Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 14, 4 and 5, Paul expresses his desire that every one of us might speak in tongues so that we are edified, built up and blessed. It's not an excuse for pride because actually it speaks of our inadequacy before God and his gracious release from that. Yet so often we, we don't know, do we, how to get the words out or, or what to say in response to the Lord. And, and tongues helps us in that situation. You know, sometimes when, when a child doesn't have the vocabulary to express their inner state, they might be encouraged to draw a picture instead. Tongues is like spoken brushstrokes, a different medium that God gives to help us connect with him. Sometimes you can have too many words. I'm a wordsmith. I take great pleasure in the breadth of the English language. But sometimes I am bound by my need to, to craft the perfect sentence. Writing essays or sermons is agonizingly slow as I'm trying to get the most effective way of expressing myself. And I think God gave me the gift of tongues to release me from all that, to free me to pray spontaneously without sifting through all the vocabulary in my memory. Tongues allows greater freedom in prayer. To me, it's a bit like the difference between swimming and walking for exercise. They're both brilliant ways of getting fit. But while swimming requires forethought and effort, what with booking a session, using transport, bringing a towel and costume and the faff of drying your hair afterwards, walking just requires us to step out of the door with appropriate footwear.
<clears throat> Praying in tongues stops us overthinking, gives our whirring minds a rest. And when a prayer request comes through on email, we can spontaneously offer the person up to God using tongues before we've had the opportunity to stop and engage time and concentration. And intercession in tongues can be carried on when we have to get going with you know, the other tasks that fill our lives. The, the university friend who first encouraged me to um, explore the gift of tongues had a summer job stacking shelves. And he used this mundane activity as a chance to keep praying to his father whilst making sure that he honoured his job. Tongues is a language that is supra-rational. It doesn't have to be filtered through our minds first. Paul encourages us to pray in the Spirit on all occasions and to keep on praying for all the saints in Ephesians 6.18. So any time, any place, we can address ourselves to God, even when our concentration has to focus elsewhere. We can pray in tongues despite physical pain and mental distress. In fact, sometimes praying like that helps you bear pain. So being able to pray like this is a really valuable tool in spiritual warfare. The ease of speaking in tongues also enables and demonstrates a sort of a greater sense of intimacy between us and God. Picture a, a grandchild snuggling up by a loved grandparent without inhibition without tension, confident that they can share whatever it is they need to. Now, of course, we do this in prayer in English as well. But sometimes, for some of us, there can be boundaries in place, a felt need to say the right thing or do it the right way. Think how hard it is to put into words what a kiss is. I've often heard John refer to the Greek Orthodox view of the Holy Spirit as being God's kiss to us. And to me, praying to him in tongues is like returning the kiss without having to explain it. The language of heaven brings with it a sense of the presence of God, something understood. Everyone's use of the gift will be slightly different. For myself, you don't have to be caught up in rapture to break into tongue prayer, but for others, that's just when they most want to do it. But it is normal for Christians. It's one of the gifts given by God's Holy Spirit that we should eagerly desire. So how can we start enjoying this present from God? Well, first of all, we need to have a desire to pray in this way and ask the Holy Spirit for the ability. God's wise distribution of gifts is his choice, but that choice is not independent of the believer's humble, 
prayerful seeking. God will take note of our motivation in asking. We're not to be infatuated with, with supernatural power like the Corinthians were or regard heavenly prayer language as a kind of mark of godliness. Instead, speaking or singing in tongues involves us in an act of surrender, letting the spirit guide our mouth instead of our mind controlling it. There's no kudos here. You know, until you're used to it, speaking in tongues sounds a bit odd. It can sound a bit childish, and our initial reaction might be embarrassment. But remember the precedent established by Jesus in Matthew 18, that we should be prepared to become like little children to enter the kingdom of heaven. Can we trust God? And let go. We need to be patient. God's gifts don't just come when we click our fingers. And we need to be persevering. Every Christian has to practice exercising the gift that they're given. And like a child learning to walk, we may at first stumble and feel inept. But please don't give up if at first praying in tongues just doesn't seem real. When we first start to swim, there's a point where we have to take our feet off the bottom. When we first want to balance on a bicycle, we have to start pedaling forward. And starting to use tongues can be like this. If we've asked God for the gift, we do just need to have a go. Now, venturing into an environment where you're surrounded by others who are using tongues, as some of us have been at New Wine this past week, can help release the gift. Alternatively, it might help to try exploring it in private first. Perhaps as you're listening to worship tracks which focus your mind on God rather than ourselves. And then... Just open your mouth and start making a noise. It might help to repeat the familiar Jewish words, Yahweh and Hallelujah, and let those open sounds lead us into less familiar utterances. You might want to say something in English and then something in tongues and then swap back and forth and trust that gradually God will increase what you're saying. So Paul encourages us to pray with the Spirit, but also with our mind. It can really increase our confidence to have a sense of what we're saying to God through the tongue. And Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 14, 13. Anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he or she may interpret what they say. Now, in a public context, someone might do that for you. But on your own, ask God. And be prepared for the fact that you won't always be sure of what your soul is expressing. Sometimes it's just enough that you're in harmony with God and he's in the driving seat. So to sum up, 
The Spirit's gift of tongues and interpretation is for private benefit and the public glorification of God. It needs to be gently encouraged, but sometimes we need to be sensitive and restrained, particularly if we realise that our use of a tongue is hindering someone else approaching God. It's not the most significant of God's presence, but neither is it to be disdained. It involves taking a risk, but is also under the control of love. We have a good, good father who has given us this gift to help us come close to him. So trust, ask, and try.